Thank you. Do keep that open, and um, let's, uh, let's pray together. I'm going to pray with some words from one of the Psalms. Let's pray for God's help. Father God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we look at this passage, may they be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I wonder, do you begin the day thinking I or we? Do you begin the day by default thinking of yourself as an individual, I, I'm going to do this, I'll engage in that. Or do you begin the day by default thinking, we, we, a group of people, are going to do this or that. Uh, Virtually all of us in the room, myself included, will be in the first category, I. So much so, you might even be struggling to think, what do you mean, Graham, we? What, what is this alternative you're talking about? How would that work? So this is about how we think of ourselves as a kind of, um, almost like a unit in society. It's like, do I begin with me? Or do I begin with us? Now, different countries and cultures have been um, analysed in this kind of individual to corporate group kind of spectrum of thinking okay top three individual thinking countries what do you think they are number one america says the wife of an american (laughs) interesting interesting number two not uk actually Australia. Number three, UK. Okay, so we're not the top two, but there are a lot of countries and cultures. We are right at the individual end of the spectrum, which is why I say virtually all of us here would immediately begin thinking, I, what is this we? How does that work? Now, here's a question for us to consider to get us going. If that's the case, if that's how we tend to think of ourselves and act, if that's normal, how does that affect relationships? If we begin with an individual mindset, how does that then shape our interactions with each other, with other people? Have a minute with your neighbour. What effect will that have? Go for it.
Okay, let's um, let's feedback. Some quick, quick, quick thoughts on this to to um, to call out. Start on this right-hand side over here somewhere. What effect might this have on relationships? Anybody? Could it could make us less generous because we're thinking of ourselves? Yeah. Get angry with other people in the family because they're not going to do what you want to do. It's kind of about what your plans are. And people might be helpful to that, but they might not be. They might get in the way. And then you're going to feel frustrated because it's about achieving your plans and, and purposes. Yeah. Mid middle section? It could be that you only engage in relationships that you can get something out of. Yeah, so I'm only going to engage in a relationship or end a relationship if I can see some benefit to me, why enter something just to give? Yeah. Anything else? Anxiety, because you feel responsible, responsible for... Okay, because it's all about you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Anything else? Derek? So just beginning, if you can hear that, just beginning with how we think about relationships. Like a feeling, if, if we're thinking we, we'd have a feeling of responsibility for those around us because it's about us. Actually, what happens is I, feel, I, I, I only feel a responsibility if I particularly want to take it on. Um, actually, I think of myself as independent, autonomous, kind of free, unless I decide to engage in a relationship. Anything from this side? Anything to add in? Okay. But you have the freedom to enter or leave relationships as you choose, for good or bad reasons, but, but there's just, there's a free, it's not set yeah. that you are part of. It. Yeah. You can enter or yeah. leave. You can enter or leave relationships as you wish. And that could be good or bad, there could be all sorts of good things about that. But the point is, it's entirely up to you, because you are the first at point. Richard, did you have a hand up? Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. So forgetting the second one there, how they think of me, people's opinions of me matter hugely because it's all about me. It's I have an individual identity rather than a kind of a group identity. What do people think about us? No, it's about me. Well, that puts a real pressure on me and my sort of performance in the world. And then Richard's lovely summary it's more about how people fit into my world than how I fit into theirs, as opposed to our world. So look, lots of things there. We could keep going for ages. Um, and it's not, it's not that it's all bad. You know, you could be, you enter relationships only for what you could get out rather than what you give, and you could be very self-orientated. We don't feel an immediate obligation to people. We're free, and so on. Now, it's not then that we're all completely selfish in those top three cultures. 
People do sacrifice for others. People are loyal in relationships. But that is the starting point, and it's because we choose to do those things. And that is where individualism will lead us. It's where we will kind of lean. And we need to wrestle with that this morning because of what God says about church. We're studying Ephesians. The first half of Ephesians, I hope you know already, is about what God has done for us through Jesus. What is then true of those who are in Christ, is the phrase. Those who believe in Jesus are joined with Jesus. What is true of those who are in Christ? And we've seen lots of what happens for those who are in Christ, who believe in Jesus, in terms of their relationship with God. We've seen about being forgiven and being adopted and being um, made alive in him and so on but then last week we began this passage and we're thinking again today about what happens not as it were vertically between us and God what happens horizontally what changes in relationship between us and other people who believe in Jesus who are in Christ We reflected last week that our sin, that is our turning away from God, it shatters that vertical relationship rather than being in a relationship of love and trust and obedience with God as our Father. We turn away from him and we're under his wrath. We've seen that in Ephesians. But also our relationship horizontally is shattered and broken. It's because of that that we have hate and bitterness and selfishness and racism and and anything else that breaks relationships between people. And Jesus comes to restore this world and to do it both vertically in terms of relationship with God and horizontally in terms of relationships with each other. And last week we saw how he did that in terms of bringing peace and breaking down barriers between people and creating a new humanity in himself. And today we are just drilling into that a bit further, particularly in verses 19 to 22, thinking about the kind of outcome, where this leaves us. Verse 19 begins with that word, consequently. As a result of what Jesus has done, where are we now? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Uh, Two things I want us to say from this this morning. First of all, We should rejoice in who God has made us together. Paul uses three images or pictures, metaphors that we've already mentioned in our service. So let's just remind ourselves what are the three three pictures he uses here of of people, of groups. Sorry? Family family is one. Citizens or sort of a nation, a, a group of people. Is a second and temple, temple. All all believers 
uh, making up those three. Let's go through them. Nation, first of all. You are no longer fellow foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens. Uh, foreigners would be those from another country kind of passing through. Strangers would be like, um, a bit like Matt said he was, like permanent residents, indefinite leave to remain, but not citizens. With, 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 with fewer rights and privileges, like a kind of migrant sort of status. And Paul is saying now, because of Jesus, you're no longer the foreigners or strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people. Using a kind of political kind of picture, you've been given a new passport. It's stamped with your name and your status, member of God's nation. It's kind of signed with Jesus' blood. You have full rights as a member of God's people. Uh, secondly, family. You are members of his household. It moves from political to domestic. Home. You've been adopted by God as your father. We've seen that already back in chapter one. We'll come back to it in chapter uh, a, little, a little later in the book. We have a little saying here at Grace that I've tried to keep us going on. I've heard other people say it, so I'm really pleased. Um, that that is that church is not a meeting you go to. It's a family you belong to. Very different picture of what church is. And then thirdly, and most developed here, is the temple image where you are bricks in the wall. Verse 21, in him Christ, the whole building is joined together. So all the different bricks are held together in Christ. And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The temple um, in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, was a particularly, particular building, a special building in Jerusalem. And it was where God made his dwelling, where God lived. I mean, they, they knew God was everywhere. He wasn't limited to a building, but it was like he chose to make his presence particularly felt there. That's where you'd go to meet with God, where you'd go to offer sacrifices to God or to pray to God. And Paul is saying that now in the, in the New Testament, under the new covenant through Jesus, God is building a new temple. Not a physical temple in Jerusalem. It's a temple made up of people where we are the bricks in the wall. Those who believe in Jesus form this new building in which God lives by his spirit. Verse 22. Now look, each of those three images tell us kind of two things. They work in two directions vertically and horizontally. Uh, vertically, they tell us something about our new relationship with God. Specifically, I think they focus on the idea of acceptance and privilege that we all have. So we're no longer foreigners, far away, excluded. We've been brought in. We've been brought near. We've got a new passport. We're members of his nation. 
We are in the family. We have God as our father now. We are part of the new temple. He emphasizes verse 22. In him you too are being built together. This is specifically to Gentile believers, not of a Jewish background, who might feel like they were kind of second class citizens. And he's saying, no, in him you too. You're part of this temple as well. They all speak of this new relationship with God and how accepted and privileged we all are in it. That this is true of anyone and everyone who is in Christ. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're thinking about Jesus and all that he means, this is the invitation to you that through him you could be a member of his people, his family, his temple, and have that new relationship with God. But these pictures also tell us about a new relationship horizontally, and that in many ways is the focus. We're his nation, so we're fellow citizens. Something is now true of you and the person standing next to you. Fellow citizens, members of his household, brothers and sisters, bricks in the wall of the temple, so forming a temple together. Jesus hasn't just worked vertically, well, we now all have a relationship with God. And it's not even like he's worked vertically. We've all got a relationship with God. So you know what? We all ought to be kind of nice to each other because we share this thing in common. He's actually changed the relationship between us. He's changed our identity. He has made us a new us in him. Let me, um, let me illustrate it. It's my favorite illustration. I apologize if you've heard it already. Uh, and it's topical because um, the Six Nations Rugby Championship is currently on. And in uh, rugby, in, um, with England and Wales and Ireland and Scotland and so on, those countries play against each other in the Six Nations. England played against Wales yesterday. They were the opposition. And they're wearing, you know, there's guys in white, guys in red, and they are against each other. Right? That's how it works. There's this really funny thing in British rugby. Every four years, you form a new team called the British and Irish Lions, made up of people from England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland. And it is as if, if you could picture it, that the, that the person wearing the white strip of England, the person wearing the red strip of Wales and the blue strip of Scotland and so on, they take off their sort of national jersey and they all pull on the same top, the same strip. And the person that was the opposition is now a teammate. And rather than tackling them... I put my arm around them. They have a new identity as a team together, which completely changes how they relate to each other. 
Jesus has taken those who were opposed, the Jew and Gentile, and he's taken any other barrier and opposition, and he has created in himself this new identity, people, family, temple. So whatever differences there are between us, cultural, our background, age, interests, race, whatever, we are made this new team. We, we have a new corporate identity. Teammates. And we can go further. This new corporate identity is something that is true of us together. And it's something that could not be true of us individually. You know, if I um, run with the rugby idea, if I called someone up here and said, um, uh, here's, here's a rugby ball, gave them a rugby ball and said, um, go on, play rugby. They'd just stand there and kind of go, well, you pass the ball in rugby. Oh dear. You, you can't play rugby by yourself. It's a team sport. You need a team for it to happen. That is the case with each of these. You can't be a nation of one person. You can't be a family as an individual. You, one brick doesn't make a temple. It's a brick. There is something that is true of us together that is not true of us individually. There is a new corporate identity to rejoice in where I say, it's not just that this is true of me and it's true of you. Where I say, there is something that is now true of us that could not be true of me by myself. I can't be a temple on my own. I can't be a family on my own. I need everybody else for this to be true. And there is a, a team kind of mentality, a together mentality to buy into now. You see, our culture will always encourage us to think individually. I mean, just, just run with me, sort of a thought experiment. You know, if our culture had this idea of being a brick in a temple, what would it do? Uh, how would it encourage us to think? What sort of brick are you? Are you a shiny brick? Are you a very important brick? How high are you in the wall? Etc, etc. So that you start to think, you think of yourself as, well, it's me, here am I. Where do I fit in? How important am I? Rather than saying, isn't it amazing that together we form a temple? Forget about me, as it were. The amazing thing is that together we form a table and that I'm part of it. That is starting to think us, who we are together. And rejoicing, kind of rather than focusing in on, on, on what is true of me, focusing and rejoicing on something that is wonderfully true of us, that couldn't be true of me. I can't be a temple by myself. 
The glorious thing here is that God dwells amongst us by his spirit. Hence I say, let's rejoice in what God has made us together. That must surely increase the preciousness of church, of belonging to God's people, family, temple. This is the new group that I am bound with. They form my new identity. This is where there are things to experience and to live out that cannot be true of me by myself. You know, we, each, we each have an individual relationship with God. Absolutely. Absolutely true. But there is something different about God's presence among us and work in us together as his people, his family, his temple. This must increase the preciousness of church to us if we rejoice in this. It must increase the premium on relationships in church. Jesus died to make this true of us. We were reflecting in home group this week together. We, t- we thought about what, what is happening if I would, as it were, turn my back on somebody within church. That could be, that could be literally turn my back as an ignore them and don't pay attention to them. It could be more metaphorically just keep a distance from them. And we said I would actually be rebuilding barriers that Jesus died to break down, creating division where Jesus has brought us together in this terms of, of, of citizens and family and temple. I am I'm denying what he's made us. Preciousness of church. Premium on relationships in church because of who God has made us together. Secondly, and more briefly, we also want to rejoice in what God is doing in us together. What is God doing in the world? He is sending his gospel. We saw earlier in the passage that Jesus is preaching peace to people. As the gospel message goes, the people hear about him. They hear about his death and resurrection. They come and trust in him. And people uh, uh, move from being under his wrath to having new life, being forgiven. Yes, yes, yes. But not enough. God is not just saving individuals. As we, see the, as we see the gospel message spread, say in the book of Acts, for example, we see the gospel go and we see people hear about Jesus and respond and they are saved. What we don't see is just this whole series of saved individuals. We see the formation of churches. Because what God is doing in the world is not just saving individuals. He is gathering and building a people. His plan is to have a people for himself, a people he loves and leads and lives with. 
And so here God is gathering a new nation, creating a new family and building a new temple. Just focus in on that building work of the temple. That's the most developed one. Verse 20. It is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Those are the people who were entrusted with the gospel message, kind of the authorized tellers of the message, who spread it. That's the foundation of this building, is the gospel message about Jesus. And we're going to see more about them next week. And within that foundation, we're told, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Um, I, I know nothing about civil engineering, but I'm told that if you're building a you know, tall, tallish building today, you, you kind of, dr- sort of do, you drive kind of piles into the ground, concrete or steel or something deep into the ground. The taller the building, the deeper it goes, because it provides the stability. Not how they built things back then in the first century. You wanted to build a big building then, the most important thing you had was a cornerstone. And it was both big and solid and heavy, and it was very carefully crafted to be completely flat and completely square because all the other walls would take their line off this and in a sense, rest back on it. It was the point of stability, the core of the building. And that is Jesus, the bedrock for the church. He's the bedrock for us as a church. And from that foundation, God is now building. Verse 22, in him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It says rises there. That makes it sound like you know, one layer of brick upon another, and that's kind of true. But actually, the word Paul uses is grows. It's less a building rising layer by layer. It's more a child growing into maturity or a plant growing up. And so I do think it's growing in quantity, numerical growth. People are being added. But it also conveys this picture of of qualitative growth, maturing growth, becoming more the temple we're supposed to be. We've said um, the opening chapters lay the foundation for the more sort of practical chapters of Ephesians. That's the case here. Just glance across in your Bible, just glance across to chapter 4, verse 15, where it's talking about the church. And it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's echoing lots of words, held together by Christ, growing up together in Christ. God is building his new temple. He is adding to it. He is growing us to be more the temple we should be. So we rejoice, we rejoice not just in 
what God is doing in my life and the way I might grow, although that's really good and to be celebrated. We don't just rejoice in what God is doing in somebody else's life as I see somebody else understand more about Jesus and grow and live for him. Although that's good and that's to be celebrated. But what this is talking about is how we grow. How we grow as a whole people and become more the temple we are supposed to be together. Um, let me, I'm going to start like this. We can, we can talk, we can and we should talk about our individual kind of growth. But again, because of that whole I thing that we start with, that is where we tend to start and stop. Come back to the team sport idea. You could think of a, a footballer or a rugby player or whatever growing in their abilities. They can they can kick it better, they can pass it further, whatever it is. That growth really only means anything if it's employed in the whole team playing better together. It's a team sport. Church growth is a team sport. We grow together. Yes, we grow individually. But that's all part of the team. So we are to rejoice in what God is doing amongst us corporately. What he's making us together. Which puts a premium then on the life of church, the building activity of church. We're made a new people together and so we have a new purpose and a new direction together. Again, verse 22, reassuring and drawing in the readers. In him you two are being built together. You're part of this. You're part of what God's doing in the world. There's a sense of privilege and a sense of purpose. Growth. And that growth, growth as somebody in Christ, is only fully realized in growing together as a people, becoming the people we are supposed to be. Uh, next Sunday, we will have been together as a church for 11 years. It's our anniversary. Lots has happened in 11 years. There have been great joys together and there have been some deep sorrows and lots of new people have come. A number of people have left. The most wonderful thing to me over those years uh, as I reflect on Grace Church is how we've grown together in this way. Not just someone coming to faith, 
not just people growing in faith. Wonderful, 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 let's have more, please. More of that. But seeing our life grow together, people walking together, supporting each other, teaching each other, encouraging each other, caring for each other, family life has grown. We are more the people we are supposed to be. Imperfect, I know. I feel the imperfections every week. But I'm so grateful for what God has done. We will always tend to think of ourselves as individuals. And we do have a wonderful individual identity and an individual relationship with God. But we are a new we in Christ. There's something true of us together now that cannot be true of us individually. God is doing something amongst us together that cannot be done in us individually. Let's rejoice in who we are. Let's rejoice in what God is doing. Let's pray together, shall we?